The title of my message today is called Tend the Fire. So last week we looked at Cleanse the Temple. If you didn't hear that, I strongly want to encourage you to listen to that. But today's message is called Tend the Fire. And I want to start with a, a story. When I was teaching a class called Cultivating Fiery Devotion, I was uh, borrowing another facility from another church in Lancaster City. And I taught there a couple nights, and it was fine. But on the third night I came in, it was in November, and it was, it was cold. And the room was cold. I was like, what's the deal? And so I went to mess with the thermostat to see if I could get it going. And, and the air was blowing. And everything seemed to be working right, but it wasn't working. I got a hold of the pastor. He didn't know what the problem was. So we taught cultivating fiery devotion in coats. In fact, the first service was so cold. I think the theater was sending us a message the first service, because it was freezing in here. They're saying the AC is working this time. So for those who were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so, so we were teaching, I was teaching cultivating fiery devotion in the cold. We were wearing coats. And I found out a couple of days later, he called me up and he said, hey, we found out what the problem was with the furnace. There was no oil in the furnace. And so what we learned was, what we learned is, is that though you, the furnace can look like it's working and it's blowing air and it's doing the things that furnaces do without oil, it doesn't burn. It doesn't do what it's made to do. It doesn't blow the hot air as it were that it was made to blow. And so it just basically looks like a furnace, but it doesn't function like a furnace because it needs oil to function right. And I want to suggest to you today, so do we. I'm going to tell you where I get that suggestion. It comes from Jesus in Matthew chapter 25. He says this, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us uh, and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some, listen to this, for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. Now, the parable of the virgins, it's called the parable of the virgins in your Bible. But I, I think that's a misnomer because I think really this is a, the parable of the oil. That's really what it is, because it's the way these two groups of people who represent the church of Jesus Christ at the end of the age. Jesus is saying at the end of the age, there'll be foolish Christians and wise Christians. And what determines their foolishness or their wisdom is how they interact around this idea of oil. Do they bring oil for them? See, oil represents in this a, a perseverance. Oil, oil represents in this a readiness to meet Jesus Christ. Oil gives us fuel for the journey. So the question I have for us this morning is, what, what is the oil? What's the oil that feeds the fire? Because if I ask a lot of groups of Christians that in different circles, many will say, what's well, the Holy Spirit? Well, I, I don't think so. And, and because I know there's other places where the Holy Spirit's represented by oil, but I think it's uh, not wise to take any kind of symbol in the Bible and then equate it all the way through the Bible and assume it always means the same thing. There's a context Jesus is bringing out. In fact, I think the context that Jesus is bringing out comes from Exodus chapter 27, verse 20 and 21. And it's when he was establishing the priesthood in Israel, and he was teaching the priests 
how they had to function. And he told them, I want the people of Israel to bring virgin olive oil. The virgin olive oil, of course, is the oil that's the best oil. The rest of it's kind of pasty or it's junk. And so they get rid of that. They use that for other purposes, common purposes. But for the worship of God, he wants this virgin olive oil. So when Jesus went to the parable of the virgins, I think this would have triggered them to some extent. Because it's talking about lamps. And the lamps in Exodus 27 were also lamps. So they would have went, oh, okay, yeah, I'm tracking with you, Jesus. You're, you're doing a little wordplay here. And you're helping some symbolism here. And you're helping me wrap my mind around this. And so olive oil had to be brought to keep the lamps burning. And they would have understood he was talking about a priestly thing. And let me tell you where it was burning. It was burning in this place called the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting. Last week we talked about being mobile temple units. This idea that whatever is true of the temple is true of us. Because the Old Testament temple was a physical place. But now that place is inside of us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which means we are supposed to be a meeting place of God. And there's this oil, as it were, that's supposed to be cultivated in us. So so what is it exactly? Well, I don't think oil, oil represents the devotion of Israel to come to worship and to bring this purity, this pure oil, this purity of heart when they come. And when they do, that fuels something of a flame on their hearts. It fuels our flame. So I don't think I don't think oil represents the devotional life. Oil represents after you've been in the word, after you've been in prayer, after you've done these things in a right way, it represents what's left inside of you. After you've left that place of prayer, after you've gone out, it's what you're carrying around as a result of being with God. Does this make sense? And when the oil of your devotion meets the fire of God's presence, there's a combustive experience in your heart is set on fire for God. The problem in this the story is, is these virgins thought, uh, you know, they thought they were, they were sure they were ready to meet Jesus, and, and he was quite sure they were not. He said he didn't even know them. And maybe they weren't sure. Because at some point they go to the ones who they are sure know Jesus, sure have something in their lives, and they say, hey, give us some of what you got. We need what you got. We need what you got. We're missing something. You know what they're saying? Translation. Lay hands on us and part what you got. I want to come hear another sermon. Maybe it can ignite me back up. You don't get it there. This stuff should send you to the, as they say, go to the ones who sell oil. You know who sells the oil? The Holy Spirit when you meet with him in that place. He's the one you meet with in the word. He's the one you're meeting with in prayer. He's revealing Jesus to you. He's revealing the Father to you. The, the Holy Spirit cries out, Abba, Father, in your heart. In other words, he shows that you're adopted. This dynamic happens when you meet with God. And the, the people that had the oil, so to speak, they just said, hey, our fire's going out. And, and we need some oil. And, uh, and they couldn't give it. So here's the question I have for us. Can we walk in the same foolishness that they did? Yeah. Hey, I'm quite sure of it because that parable is about us. That parable is about a church that in the darkest night, we hear the, a cry that comes out when deep darkness covers the earth. We're going to hear this, behold, Jesus is coming. Behold, Christ is coming. Let's go out to meet him. And I don't know what that'll look like practically, but I know it's going to happen at some point in the history of the earth. It's about the church. It's about us. So yeah, sure, it can happen. We could walk in that foolishness. So the question is, how do we avoid the pain of this prophetic warning and delusion of the false church at the end of the age. How many of you want to be deluded? 
Those, those virgins thought they'd let us in too. He's like, I don't even know you. But I went to church. Yeah, but that doesn't mean I know you. Yeah, but, but I, I, oh, I hung out in, in a life group. And, but that doesn't mean I know you. Knowing Jesus is about knowing Jesus. It's not about knowing the rest of the body of Christ. You will know Jesus through the body of Christ, but that is not, there's a direct, he wants a personal, very direct relationship with each one of you. Does this make sense? And so how do we avoid that? How do we enter into the joy of the Lord? Because you know, at the judgment seat, there's, there's, there's different people. As they get judged, they come through and Jesus says, oh, you know, welcome, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. It's joyful for them, but there's another group where it's not so joyful, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I, I don't know how that works. Some of you are going to say, oh, well, you know, aren't we once saved, always saved, and all that stuff. Why do we, whenever someone focuses on that, it tells me a lot about that person. If that's your focus, you're saying, I want to do the minimum amount of followership and still get in while enjoying everything I can in this life. I never, I don't even focus on that in my life. I don't know if I'm saved, once saved, always saved. I secure myself with that. No, I walk in fellowship with Jesus every day. That's how I know I belong to him. That's how you do it. And so I I think, I think there are at least uh, three things that we need. If we're going to, to, to not be deluded, if we're going to walk with Jesus, if we're going to have, as it were, oil, this readiness to meet him, this perseverance and this fuel when darkness covers the earth. And the first thing we need is we need to tend to the fire of our devotion to Jesus. You need to tend to the fire of your devotion to Jesus. The apostle Peter tells us that the church, the entire church, is a royal priesthood to the Lord. And the priests in Israel's day were told this. So, so I want you to understand, if the modern church is a priesthood, he takes, he says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Again, that would have triggered the Jewish Christians to say, okay, um, uh, okay, he's going back to like, oh yeah, I know, what, I know what it said about Aaron, and I know what it said about the Levites, and I know what it said about all that. Okay, yeah, that's where he's going with this. And so, this is what, the, what God said to the Levites. He's, and they were told this, Meanwhile, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must never go out. Each morning, the priest will add fresh wood to the fire and arrange the burnt offering on it. Now, apply this to us. Who's the priesthood? We are. We are. A little better? Okay, good. Because some, so, so there's seven of you that are the priesthood. <laughs> Hopefully the rest of you will get in on it this morning. Each morning the priest will add fresh wood to the fire and arrange the burnt offering on it. He will burn the fat, the peace offerings. Remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never go out. Twice in this short passage, he wants to make clear something. There's a fire that's supposed to be burning on an altar, and it should never, ever go out. And the one who's responsible to keep it burning is the priest. You are that priesthood. And, and the, the modern, for them, the altar was a place of worship and a place of prayer. And it's on us to keep the fire burning in the place of worship and prayer as we wait for the return of the Lord. It's just that simple. It's all over the New Testament. But I don't like those verses. I like them bless me verses where I learn about all the blessings I get. The greatest blessing you can ever have is knowing Jesus Christ. Above everything he could give you, there's nothing greater than having a relationship with God Almighty through Jesus. Now, what a, Ezekiel 44 tells a time when Israel went astray from the Lord. The priesthood went astray, the nation went astray, but there was this one family line, the family of Zadok. And the sons of Zadok, the Bible says, they ministered, they kept the charge of the sanctuary. That means they continued to minister to the Lord 
while everyone else was going astray, listen to this, they stayed faithful to worship, to pray, to seek God, and to minister, and to teach the people around them as much as they could the right way. Now, here's the question. Why did the rest of Israel go astray and they stay faithful? Well, because they're faithful people, right? I don't think so. See, I don't think their faithfulness caused their devotion to the temple duties, to keeping the fire burning. I believe they're keeping the fire burning caused supernatural power to enter them to stay faithful to the Lord. I recognize some of you are thinking deeply. That's why I hear zero. I don't even hear your oxygen coming out of you. It's amazing. I guess it'd be carbon dioxide. I think you might. Micah corrected me. I guess if your oxygen is coming out of you, it's going to be a problem. You know, Jesus said something to his disciples right before he was crucified. He said, look, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So I want you to do something. I want you to pray that you not enter into temptation. How many have discovered in your journey on this planet that you've got a willing spirit? You, you want to follow God. Then you discovered my flesh. i got this weak stuff that will just do really stupid, sinful stuff if I, if I, I just sometimes. The pastor's the only one that struggles with this. Oh, my gosh. Who wants to be the pastor? We're taking a vote right now. Somebody a little more holy. You know, you you follow what I'm saying? Like, we all deal with the apostles that walked with Jesus. He had to say to them, you've seen miracles for three years. You've walked with me. But look, you've got this weak flesh. I'm about to get crucified. You're about to get persecuted. And in that moment, you've got this weak flesh. It's going to want to run from me and run to something else. And my answer for you is a prayer life. Somebody like, that's no answer. That's the best answer. Yeah. Watch him pray. Your spirit's willing. Your flesh is weak. See, here's what happens when we tend the fire of our devotion to the Lord. We need to tend the fire. What happens? As we keep the spiritual fire burning in the house of prayer, we receive supernatural power to keep us abiding in Christ. So, so all of you are like, man, it's all about grace. Okay, I agree with that. But there's still... A means of grace. There's means of grace. Like Jesus dying on a cross for our sins and us receiving that by faith. That's a means of grace. I have to believe. By grace you have been saved through faith. Remember last week I gave you this analogy of of if if I had guests. or you Say you're a guest at my home. And I said, come on over. Let me introduce you to my refrigerator. Here's my refrigerator. It's stocked with food and drinks and whatever you need. Over downstairs is my uh, laundry area. I have a washing machine and my dryer. You can use that freely whenever you want. Here's my bathroom. Here's the shower. I provide for all you need to live in my house. And I say, I have given it all for you. You owe me nothing. You simply need to use it. Yes. And you just don't. You say, Psh, man, that guy, that host I'm staying with, he's such a bad host. Like, <laughs> he, he, he won't let me. Like, in other words, what, you want me to eat your food for you, take a shower for you, and wash your clothes for you? Maybe you'd like me to wash your clothes for you. But outside of that, you follow me. Yeah. Like grace is God provides for you. Faith says, I'm going to utilize what he's provided. Does this make sense? Yeah. The modern church is kind of screwed up on this in a significant way. And so we're sitting on our blessed assurance waiting for God to do what we're supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. And we need to get, we need to like, I have an assurance. That assurance comes because I do have faith in God. Because I'm taking hold of that grace and I experience it. He has provision for you that you got to take hold of. 
by faith. So I believe God gives us supernatural power to keep us abiding in Christ. So there's at least four things that I think happen when we, when we, uh, uh, you know, enter this house of prayer, this place, becoming that people who stand and minister to the Lord. First, you receive God's perspective. Psalm 34 verse 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What it doesn't say is, oh, magnify the problem with me. Right? I was remember I was in New York City and I remember seeing the Empire State Building as I got off the out of the subway. And you can see it from anywhere in New York, pretty much. And so um, I, I see this. I see this huge building and it looks big. Right. How many, how many have you been there? You know, it's big. But I noticed that when I drew near to the building, it didn't, wasn't just big, it was huge. In fact, if you're standing near one building, when you first get out, that's smaller in nature, and you see the Empire State Building, you might think that building's bigger because you're closer to the smaller building. But when you move from that building to the larger building, you see how much larger that building is, and so it is with us and God. You've got to draw near to God to magnify the Lord in your life and not your problem. And the reason so many of our problems feel big is because we stay near our problem. We stay near our negativity. We stay near whatever just weighs us down instead of saying, you know what, I'm just going to leave that behind for a moment. I'm going to walk over. I'm going to get near God. I'm going to get in that place. I'm going to fly to the 20,000 foot view and I'm going to see how small my problem is compared to God. The second thing that happens is you receive God's peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray. Pray about everything. Come on. Don't worry about anything, but just pray. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then, when you do that, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I want to illustrate this through a lady's life. Her name is Corey Tenboom. Uh, her, her life is uh, found in the book, The Hiding Place. And she lived in Nazi Germany when the Jews were being uh, persecuted and really annihilated. And so she began, her family, the Ten Boom family, began to hide Jews in their house. That's the reason their house is called The Hiding Place. They literally had hiding places in the house. And eventually they got uh, told, they were you know, turned into the, to the Nazis and they were taken uh, to concentration camps. And her sister Betsy died in the concentration camp. After she got released, all the women she was in there with were sent to the gas chamber. Her life being spared in her mind was a phenomenal miracle. And the reason I say it is how many, how many think that that's like, you know, if you're going to draw near to a problem, that's probably a problem. Yeah. Like your problem seems small when I say that. Yes. Here's what she said. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. God knows that's right. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. She also said this, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? You understand what she's saying? Like, like is prayer what you go to first to help steer your life? Or is it a reactionary thing you go to when your life has got a flat tire suddenly and now you're going to asking God to help you get out of that? How many had that prayer life? I had that prayer life. I had the spare tire prayer life for a long time. And then Jesus got a hold of me and said, no, if you would start there, that's where. So the scripture only works when you start in the place of prayer. When you're finishing, he can restore your peace, but you will have gone through a lot of anxiety before you get there. You follow what I'm saying? And he doesn't want that for you. The third thing is you receive God's passion. The fire, when you draw near to God, the fire that's in his nature lights yours up too. Does that make sense? 
Let me say it this way. You don't get excited about the things of God, then go to prayer. That almost never happens. You think that's what happens. Somebody's praying for you. That's why you got excited. But I'm just simply saying, most of us don't get excited. Oh, I'm so excited. about that. I'm going to go pray now. It's more like this. I went to the place of prayer in a lot of boring times. And suddenly, I, I, I mean, for me, to this day, as much as I teach this stuff, I could be like, prayer. Anybody else ever been there? Yeah. Can I be real? Yeah. A prayer meeting. I thank God there's people showing up because I don't know if I'd do it if they didn't show up, you know? But then we get there, we begin worshiping, we begin worshiping, and we begin praying, and we begin encountering the Lord, and suddenly I can't figure out why in the world I didn't want to pray. See, I get, passion ignites me when I draw near. I start by drawing near, then I get ignited. I don't get ignited, then draw near. Do you follow me? The fourth thing is you receive God's power. You receive God's power. So... And this is important to me because I believe Lifeway Church, I believe, and I believe each of you here, whether you're called to this congregation or not, I believe God's called His people to hear His voice. That's what personal relationship means. Jesus said, if you are my sheep, you know my voice. In fact, I'm amazing how many people claim to believe in the Bible and then claim that God doesn't talk today. I'm like, He only talks to the Scriptures. They had that as Pharisees. Hello. Jesus brought something different in the form of the Holy Spirit. And He wants everyone to hear his voice. So let me help you understand this because like we're going to do a whole series on this again. We'll do that again. It's coming in the fall here later. But, but here, here's the thing. You don't need that series if you just listen to this. One little story will help put it in perspective. I was out at the uh, International House of Prayer in Kansas City. I'd gone to this ministry time. Some people had, had uh, ministered to us prophetically, read my mail, like, like, like these, these kids. They were like 20-something years old. Maybe some of them probably weren't even 20-something. They might have been 18. They're upper teens. And they had just profound insight into my heart and life. And God, like things I had prayed and then telling me what I prayed and telling me the answer. And it was profoundly moving. And so I, I met with the director, a guy named Kirk Bennett. I met with him to talk about his, the ministry teams and how they get them like that. You know what I'm talking about. That was really good. You know, the apostles saw Jesus praying, right? And then they saw the results all day. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to do that. We, they didn't want to pray. They, 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 they religiously prayed. They weren't interested in praying. They were interested in the power they saw all day after he left that place. And most of us are that way too. So I was interested in that. I watched them. How did you get these? I mean, they're kids. I mean, how do they do that? And he said, oh, yeah, we had this four-hour week. We call it a one-day seminar, but it's really just four hours. And we have them together, and then we talk, and then we put on teams. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I teach a class for 14, or whatever, 13 weeks called Exploring the Prophetic. It's two hours each night. So what's that? About 26 hours of training. And I, barely, I would barely get results like that. You know, he goes, oh, no, 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 no. You're misunderstanding me. He said, uh, he said, we don't make them prophets. We can't do that. We make them priests. We teach them to stand before God and minister to him. God makes them prophets. Where does he get that? He gets that from the book of uh, 1 Samuel, chapters 1 through 3, where Samuel was a non-priestly kid put into a priestly tribe. So he wasn't raised as a priest. He was adopted by the priest. And his mother donated him to the ministry. The real priests were evil. But this kid who had a heart for God, just coming to the tabernacle, ministering to the Lord, as it were, keeping the fire burning on the altar day and night. And God opens his understanding to hear his voice. And I want to suggest to you, we serve the same God, same glory, same power. He can open up your ears too. And he wants to. If you seek, you will find. That's not my word. That's his.
Moses, you know, we talked about the darkness that's in the earth, and I moved, you know, there's crazy things happening in our planet. Every day, I'm sure every generation thought that. But when I compare it to their stuff, I'm like, I don't know, our stuff's pretty bad. And, and you know, there, uh, I was in the prayer meeting the other morning, and Toby Burris said something really powerful. He just said, you know, I don't even know why he said it, because we weren't really praying right in this vein, but he just said, you know, while all of Egypt was under the plague of darkness, Israel still had light in their homes. The covenant people of God can still have light when those who want to break covenant with God all day don't. And if we'll draw near to the Lord and trust Him, He'll do that. Zadok's family line, they stayed faithful to the Lord because they drew near to the Lord. They fueled the fire of their devotion to Christ. And, 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 and while... Uh, uh, Israel strayed because they did not. Listen, you will stray if you don't fuel the fire of your devotion. Yes. Are you following me? Yes. You won't be able, I, I've known, look, I've known better people than me. Way better than me. Like better, I would think, wow, an amazing walk with the Lord. One who just made the news, major news, is a guy named Joshua Harris. He influenced the church at a significant level uh, for like a decade. And you ever heard him speak publicly? What an amazing gift. And then suddenly he says, yeah, I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't believe any of that stuff I taught. So on and so forth. And I'm just like, I remember I went to prayer. I was like, God, how does that happen? He said, anyway. He says, just step away from the, like, remember the solar calculator? I used a story for those who weren't here last week. When I was in third grade, I discovered the, uh, a calculator. And it was solar powered. And you put your finger over it, you know, and the over the solar panels and the, and the numbers on the screen go dim and you take it off and they grow bright again and then strong again. You take it, it goes dim and then you take it off and it gets strong again. And we learn something, right? We need light to touch the panel to keep us from fading. You need the light of Christ to keep you operating right. And so when you stray, like Israel, the Israel strayed from their devotion. Like they strayed from putting themselves in the light of God while claiming to be followers of God. Could that be us? Could any of us be acclaimed to be a follower of God while inwardly we're starting to stray? Yeah. I had this tree in uh, when I lived in, uh, well, it doesn't matter where I live, Nottingham, Pennsylvania, but when I lived down there, I had this tree in my yard. It looked awesome. I mean, it was this big, fat tree. It had big branches and green. And one time there was a storm that came through, and it blew the tree. I mean, it literally blew this big tree right at the, right at the center of the tree. It was like... And what we discovered about the tree is outwardly it good, looked good, but inwardly it had been rotting. And some of us are like that. We don't tend the roots of our lives. Inwardly we begin to rot and stray on the inside till finally some kind of something, some kind of challenge, some kind of test comes our way, blows strong against us, and then the reality of what's in our core comes out and it's shown for what it is, rottenness to the core. I don't want that to be me. I want to tend the roots of my life. I want to be nourished by the life of Jesus Christ. I don't want to claim to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Second, so that, that's our first thing. The second thing is you need to ask yourself, what fire am I stoking? You know, we're all stoking a fire, right? We can stoke fires of, of some kind of devotion. And, um, and so I want to ask you, from this angle, ask you this. You know what, you know what a fireplace is, right? It's a place where you have fire. Start and maintain fires. And, and really, in some cases, there's some fires we need to put out because we all have fireplaces in our lives. And here's the question I have for you. What's lighting your fire? 
Because there are holy and unholy fireplaces. Let's talk for a second about the unholy ones. Let's talk for a moment about the places of sinful fire. I'm thinking about things like pornography. Where, where, where we get the fire of lust is, is released in our lives. I'm thinking about hookup apps like Tinder and Grindr. You know, and I, I, who knows what need you're trying to get met there, but I'm just saying those are realities, and I know they're common. And all apps like that. What about bars and, and we're looking for a substitute fellowship and nightclubs and, and drugs and drowning your sorrows in alcohol? And, and then what about the fireplaces of debatable entertainment? I was here at the Regal the other day. I saw a movie that was debatable entertainment. And well, I do like all of us. I press myself. Oh, maybe I'll just get past this part and then this part. And then finally, well, there's too many of those bad parts. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think, I think, I think our, our, even in our human body, we can handle a little toxins. But how much toxin can you handle before you can't handle the toxin? And I, I, you know, and I, we, Lydia and I, we pressed through. We watched the whole thing. And I walked out and I was just like, man, I just feel bad. Yeah. Like I felt unclean. You ever been there? Absolutely. You, you do? You repent. That's what you do. You put that fire out. You begin to go, God, give me living water to put out those kind of fires and then give me the right fire of devotion to Jesus. Are you following me? Yeah. Places of negative and destructive thinking. Man, I did that. I know that. And here's, where, here's what happens. If you live a life of this kind of stuff, you try to pursue Jesus. You have one foot in the kingdom of God, one foot in the world, and you're trying to straddle that fence. My friend, that is a painful straddle. And what ends up like Corey Ten, but you end up a couple things. You end up distressed and you end up depressed. Yeah. Some of the depression in your lives, I know I recognize some things are chemical and people have you know, either stuff, but I think a lot of depression, I know a lot of depression in my life came from just sinning while trying to walk with God. Yep. I won't look for an amen because uh, your, your silence tells me all. In yeah. the solution, James gives us a solution. Like, you know, let me say this way. Like, you're. Um, See, the problem with a lot of us is we think, I'm mostly devoted to Jesus, but I'm going to go to this 10% like, like little spot in my life where I'm going to goof around with sin. See, the problem with sin is the Bible calls it a fire itself. And so I want you to imagine I take up a ball, a ball of paper, and I have this one little piece of paper, and I take a match, and I, and I touch the tip of the paper. See, but the problem is it doesn't stay on 10% of the paper. It consumes it. And this is what happens when you flirt with sin. When you go play with it, you jump in it. I'm not talking about you're trying to follow Jesus. You're not pursuing it. Temptation happens. You mess up. You go to God. Okay, I'm talking about where you actively pursue it and you give Jesus a little time and then you're hoping to have a, a, a great eternity. I'm like, it doesn't work that way. You, you're touched with the flames of the fire to which you draw near. I imagine all of you want the perspective, the peace, the passion, and the power that the sons of Zadok had when they stayed when they pursued the Lord and stayed faithful, you can't do it when you go astray like Israel did and still imagine you're in covenant with God. God wants your life marked by righteousness, peace, and joy. Can, can I say this? I believe we have a joyful God. The Bible says when, every, when any sinner repents and surrenders their life to Him, heaven rejoices. So I, I could put it this way. With all holiness, God is a partying God when, people, when He parties for the right reason of people surrendering to Jesus. Okay, He's joyful. He's a joyful God. He's a fun God. But when it's not fun, he doesn't like idolatry, and he doesn't like things that set themselves above God in our life. He doesn't like pride, and there's things he doesn't like. But when we walk in humility, we do those things. He loves it. And this is what James, James's answer to a, to a people who are consumed with confliction, here's, here's what he says, <clears throat> James 4, 7. So humble yourselves before God. 
Good start. God, what that means is, God, I've messed up. I see it and I want help. Just like I did when I walked out of that movie. I was like, man, Lydia, that was bad. We, we persevered way too long on that one. Would have been better to lost the money. You follow me. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. What's that mean? Don't embrace the devil for sure. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Whose responsibility is it to come close? It's ours. So Jesus came close when he died at the cross for our sins and rose again, said, anyone believing in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. But once we do that, just like God started the fire in the tabernacle, and just like the priest needed to bring the oil to keep the fire burning, you bring the oil of your faith and devotion in prayer and in worship and a life lived for God every day, and that keeps the fire burning in your heart. This is what it means to be a house of prayer. It's not just uttering up words. It's being a people who are devoted to Jesus, and therefore our words are meaningful to Him. And so He answers because we're His. Yeah. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Listen to this. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And so this is what He says when it is. I want you to have joy. I really do, people. I want you to be that way. That's what He would say to us. But... When your loyalty is divided, you need to do something first. You need to let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up in honor. So see the end of it before you see the beginning. The end goal is to honor you. But there's a starting spot where you humble yourself under God's leadership and let Him work through the process of of your heart. Which leads to the third thing. We need to go to the right fireplace to build the right fire. Isaiah 6, verse 1 through 8 says this. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And their voices shook the temple to its foundations. Wow. And the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I live among people with filthy lips. I've seen the king, yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim, so a seraphim's a, a winged creature. It literally means burning once. It's a six-winged creature. So a burning creature carrying, takes tongs, grabs a coal, and comes to him. And here's what it says. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal. He'd taken from the altar with a pair of tongs, and he touched my lips. And with it, he said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. He wants that for every one of us today, whether you've walked with Jesus or this is all a new idea to you. He wants your guilt removed. Man, I had a lot of guilt in my life. He wants your sins forgiven. I had a lot of guilt in my life because I had a lot of sins in my life. Then I heard the Lord asking, so he says, I had this experience, I'm caught up, and he says, I hear the Lord asking, uh, uh, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? Look at Isaiah volunteering, here am I, send me. Now I want you to get this picture clearly in your mind, because it's got three stages. The first stage is a sinful guy in front of a holy God and holy worshipers, holy elders, falling down, praising God, living creatures, flying by, the saints that have gone before, worshiping God, and he feels out of place in this worship scene. Maybe you've been there. Maybe it's today. Maybe you came in today and worship was going and it was going hard after God, and you're one of the ones standing there. Why are these people so into this? 
I feel out of place here. I don't get it. Or I don't feel worthy of this. Or I'm uncomfortable doing this. Maybe all of that is simply because there's this, this kind of piece of this love of the world, but I'm, I'm happy to be here today, but I really got all this other world. I don't mostly live here, okay? I don't live in this worship thing. I mostly live out here where everything, where it's kind of dirty out here. And that's what Isaiah was having. That was his experience. I have this thing that that's, I don't feel right in this place. I want to tell you today, what happened here is what God wants for you, that you're made right through Jesus Christ. You say yes to Jesus. Your sins are taken away. And I promise you, I, I know because I was the guy running from the Lord. I lived a sexually immoral lifestyle, a party lifestyle. I get around Christians just like this. And I was not the one going, woohoo, Jesus, like I am today. I was not the guy on my knees. I was the guy going, like, these people are weird. What is this? Okay, I'm going to do this church thing. I, I kind of like this. I, we we kind of get this like, I like to, I'm fascinated with this idea of God, but I'm going to live the way I normally live when I get done here. And as long as that's where you're at, you're going to be that way. But the day you allow the coal, as it were, the blood of Jesus, the idea of his sacrifice to touch your life and cleanse you is the day when God says, who will go for me? You'll be the one volunteering. You won't even believe it. I wouldn't believe today that I'm talking to you today the way I am. If you would have known me in the world and if I was in the Marine Corps and my party lifestyle, you would have said, no way is that guy a preacher. And that happens. People get on my Facebook page and go, you're doing what? You know, and bleepity bleep, they curse all over. I can't believe you're effing this, blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, talking to a pastor, and it's like, hello, guys. I ain't that guy anymore. You know, it's, but I get where they're coming from because the amazement in their heart that God took someone as messed up as me and transformed me into a priestly man who wants to worship God night and day and see his kingdom advance. It didn't start because I was good or right. In fact, I want to say this to you. Every one of God's friends were his enemy at one time. And if you find yourself alienated from God, feeling like an enemy, I want you to know he wants to draw you in. Would you stand to your feet? I want to finish with this. <clears throat> and some of you heard me say this before. Some of you feel like you just got off a ride at Hershey Park. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> I hear Brittany up here like, well, to bring this home all the way here, I, when I first moved up to Pennsylvania, we, we bought this house and we had this coal stove. And, and, and the reason I say this is, I, I want to tell you this story again and again and again for those who've heard it again and again and again. Good. Is there's this, there's this thing that can happen where we say, I am praying and I am spending time in the Bible. Why am I not having the results that you're talking about? You're doing it wrong. Oh, don't tell me that. That's going to mess me up. It'll make it simple for you. Listen. So we, so we bought this coal stove and didn't know what we were doing with it. And so I had his friend come over and teach me how to light a coal fire. And so we put the, we put the wood on the, he put this like kindling wood he had chopped up as real small pieces. And he wadded up a bunch of newspaper in there and he got that burning as it begins to burn. And it goes a little bit. Then he adds these larger pieces of wood on it and it begins to burn. Then he takes like a quarter pail of coal and throws it on there and waits and felt like forever. I'm not real patient. How many know what you're talking about? You feel me? So he throws this quarter thing of, uh, of coal on there, quarter pail of coal, and I'm waiting for it to to do its thing, and, and, and so it finally catches fire, and then he takes a little bit more, like a half pail, and throws it on, and waits for it to do it, and then, and then a whole pail, and it's full, and it's all starting to burn, and that was about an hour, hour and 15 minute process, it was like, like long. Some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so one time, if the fire kept burning for a while, I tended to the fire every day as I should, but what happened was, after a while, you know, you go out for a long day or whatever, you didn't get back in time, you go to try to save it, but the fire is out, and you gotta rebuild the fire. So I decided, 
okay, I'm going to try this, but I'm going to do this much more efficient than he did. So I start out, I get my kindling. I start everything pretty much the same up to the first quarter pail of, of, of coal. And I get that on there and it starts to burn. I'm thinking, we're good. That coal's burning. I'm going to, so I fill up the whole pail and I go, Poof, throw it on there. What happened to my fire? Poof. Now I got to dig the whole thing out and start over again. Some of you may feel like the same thing. The fire, you may have known the Lord. Either you've not started your fire, you need to start one. Or, or, or you knew the Lord and your fire has gone out. And here's what happens. When you've lived in a place of a heightened place with the Holy Spirit, when you've lived in a place with Jesus Christ that's heightened, you really want to get back there quick. That's the problem. Right. You don't want to go through the process. You didn't stray quickly, and we don't often come back quickly. But if you'll just work the process right, you show up daily with a heart that says, I want to encounter you. And here's what I mean by that. I know lots of people, <clears throat> I'm talking about a friend, not me, of course, where I open the Bible in my mind, I'm reading the words, but mine's not actually there. Anybody else? You have that friend too, I see. So I have that, so, so I'm reading this, right? And my mind is not, not fully engaging the, the scriptures as it should. And there's this kind of trendy thing going on right now in our culture called mindfulness meditation. You know what I'm talking about? It's the idea of learning to be present now instead of, so, so instead of asking what's next, we ask what's now. But I want, I want to help you do this with the Word. When you open the Word, we, we can start, when you're, especially if it's the beginning of your day, you're thinking about the rest of the day, you've got to stop. Bring your, bring your mind. I, I, by faith, I come before Jesus Christ. I come boldly before the throne of grace to get help in our time of need. And I say, Lord, I'm here. Before your throne of grace, I have the Scriptures open. My mind is wanting to run away like crazy, like a freight train. Help me to be present now. And, and so I set my mind and I go, right now I'm focused. And I'm setting my mind on God. And I'm here I am, Lord. And I focus and I wait till I feel like I have his attention. Then I start to read the word. When I feel it wander, I start talking to him again. And I pull it back in. I want to tell you something. I've been at prayer times when I come into prayer or worship or the word, the scriptures, and I begin to read or I begin to pray. My mind wanders. And I might have, God might have get six minutes of my focus. And then I have like 20 minutes of a wandering mind. Anybody else? This is what God wants you to do in that moment when you discover. Because usually you have this realization moment that you just wasted like 30 minutes and 20 of it was mostly on whatever your task list was random thoughts or whatever else. He just wants you to go, Lord, I see what I did there. I, I want you. That's all I want you to do. More than anything else, I just want you. And, and you get six more minutes of focus and 20 more minutes of wandering. He understands you're in a gym. You know, we got Planet Fitness around the corner and ideally it's supposed to be a place of fitness. I mean, some real fitness people will tell you it's debatable, but, <laughs> but pretend for a second like it's a place of fitness. The house of prayer, the place of prayer is a place of growing in spiritual fitness. And you're learning to flex a spiritual muscle that you haven't used much before. And to make it a predominant feature in your life, you've got to exercise yourself to godliness, the scripture says. And you're going to find that grace gives you big spiritual muscles where your ability to focus on the Lord becomes so easy. You come into a room like this, there can be people everywhere walking in and out. And you can just return your focus to the Lord and be fully caught up into Him. All of that has a starting spot, though. And that starting spot is surrendering your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You've got to stop doing splits over the fence and give him a chance and surrender to his leadership to let him change you. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? Listen, if you're here today and you're like, man, I hear you. I've never had uh, this kind of fire in my heart like that. And I want it. You know, a lot of you have gone to church throughout your life, but you've not encountered Jesus Christ. I promise you it's meant to be a personal salvation experience, not just a corporate thing. And it is supposed to be corporate. We are to pray together, do life together. But the beginning of it is very personal. 
as God adds you to his household, as he puts his Holy Spirit in your heart and adopts you into the family of God, as you say yes to what Jesus did, as he died on the cross for your sins and rose again, saying, if you believe in him, you'd not perish but have eternal life. He wants to give you that today. And the way you know, you'll feel it. Just like Isaiah felt out of place in that worship, if you're feeling slightly out of place, you don't feel that sense of God's acceptance on your heart. You don't feel the sense of nearness to God right now. And you're saying, I I don't know that's happened to me, and I want that. I want to ask you right now. I'm not going to call you for it to embarrass you, but Jesus wants to give you eternal life. And so I can pray for you. Would you raise your hand high and just give me a chance to lead you in a prayer right now? Anybody else? going to church just like the parable of the virgins they didn't know him and they were confused about that going to church doesn't mean you know him pursuing him personally Jesus Christ is Lord of your life is where that knowledge begins again is there anyone else raise your hand right now and I'll pray for you thank you All right. for the rest of us we want to rebuild our fire could we invite Jesus Christ to help us dig out the the, 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 the ashes. The Bible says he gives us the oil of joy for mourning, beauty for ashes. He wants to do that in your life. Can we pray that together? Pray this and we say, God, forgive me of my sins. I ask in Jesus' name that you make Jesus Lord of my life. Jesus, I confess you are Lord. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Help me to cultivate fiery devotion in my inner man. Teach me how to cultivate oil, to persevere, and to be ready for you when you come. Lead me by the Holy Spirit as I minister to you. Open my ears to hear your voice and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God thanks for this. Jesus.